OK. This is Lester Love with today's motivational. Crosstown Conversations, and um, this is a partially a kind of follow-up to our last show um, when we anticipated the um, student walkout that was going to occur on Thursday, and um, now we're going to kind of talk about how that went, and we have another one coming up. We have the March 24th um, uh, what, uh, what is it called again? It's the March for Our Lives. March for Our Lives. And that was Louise Olivier. Mm-hmm. And I have Olivia Keefe also in studio. And both these gals are at Ben Franklin. And they are very – oh, I just – I should have <laughs> looked at your sweatshirt and I would have known. March for Our Lives. Y'all already have – hoodie yeah we sweatshirts have. <laughs> with your logo we have uh, a company reached out to us bonfire and they were like uh we want to help you guys we'll design the logo we'll make all the shirts we'll send them out we just need you guys to help us um distribute them we'll raise money for you so it was amazing do you have what you're going to get in writing we raised over about four thousand uh, dollars just off a t-shirt sales alone and are you getting most of that? Yeah, we are. Uh, that's our profits, personally. Oh, that's like, what you took in. Yeah. Okay. Well, great. It's not, if that isn't a great, that's sort of the beginning of the answer to my question of, you know, how did it go for your last event? And then we'll talk about what's planned for this Saturday, because this Saturday is the big march for our lives. Had I made I turned my head to the left, I would have seen the <laughs> great big, it's, it's that you know, famous logo of New it's, Orleans, it's the, the tops water, of our sewer. It's the water meter from the <laughs> right, sewer the water, water meter. Yeah. All right. Well, who wants to start? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, so my name is Olivia. Uh, I'm a junior at Ben Franklin High, and um, I'm one of the organizers for March for Our Lives New Orleans. Uh, it's going to be this Saturday, uh, 12 p.m. to 3 p.m. We're going to start at Washington Square Park, and we'll end at Dos- and have a rally at Duncan Plaza. So you're really following the um, track of the Women's March yes. that yeah. um, I participated in uh, last year. And I have to say, I am certain, absolutely certain, that we had more fun. Not that it was intended <laughs> to be fun, but we had more fun in our march than any other march in America because, of course, we had second lines and oh, we had yeah. <laughs> jazz funerals and we had all kinds of costumes and puppetry and you name it. But it, it was for an important cause, as is this. And this has just got to be an incredible experience for you all. I mean, I was involved in early action against the Vietnamese War when I was in college. In high school, I was active, but not 
the way you all are on this gun violence issue. And I know it's because you feel so strongly about it. And so um, share with me what it was like to be out there last week and, and to be involved in the planning of this one. Well, uh, actually, our student council uh, organized the Ben Franklin walkout, but it was still so wonderful to see um, all the thought they put into it. They, um, we had uh, Not One More chant where we recited the names of those 17 people killed at um, Marjorie Stoneman Douglas in Parkland, uh, after which we said Not One More. Uh, that was really moving. We also had um, statistics read about um, gun violence in America. We had um, signs and posters to telling us how to reach out to our elected officials to tell them we are interested in this issue. We also had a mental health outreach uh, as a booth, uh, which was pretty inspiring to know that our students know that this is a multifaceted issue. It's not just one thing. Yeah. Um, some of the other walkouts that took places at the other schools also looked really incredible. I know um, uh, Lesher Charter School, they linked up with Sci High and they actually linked their arms around the two schools in a show of solidarity. Um, and yeah. it was really incredible to see. Uh, they were actually on the front page of The Advocate, and we have a video of that walkout on our website. Uh, and it's actually really they, good. They, they already have a video on their <laughs> website, they have a uh, hoodie. I mean, Facebook page. Facebook page, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, um, that was was a really moving image, especially of of, um, Lesher and uh, Sci-Hi. So so tell me personally how each of you uh, were affected by this from the first event and and now in the organizing of the second. Uh, So it's both why you're so concerned and committed to this, you know, what's underlying the strength of your feelings Mm -hmm. that you got involved, um, but also how has it impacted you? Um, I would say that as a generation, we have become so accustomed to mass shootings that for a long time, it felt like there was nothing we could do. Um, at our school, we have, I've experienced, have we had two or three? We had, uh, Louise and I both went to the same middle school and now we're at the same high school. So we had one in middle school and uh, two in high school. Two so far, threats of violence against our school in which action was taken. Um uh, so it's, when you it's, say action was taken, you action mean... Action was taken by the uh, police, police department. Actually, the first one in middle school, there was a, an armed bank robber located a block away from our school, and um, the police thought that he was going to try uh, to enter the school, so we were forced into lockdown. a lockdown. Right, although by far the most disturbing was when in high school somebody threatened a, a, an act of violence against our school. They threatened to bomb our school. There was a student who had made a bomb or had plans to made a, make a bomb and it was a serious threat. Uh, he was arrested by the police. He was a student at your school? Yeah. Yes. He was a junior. He was actually, he, was, he sat two seats away from me in my French class. I oh mean, I didn't God. know. I, yeah. Yeah, I went to elementary school with him. I didn't know. <laughs> and so all that's, of a sudden that's he's a, being arrested. That, that's a question I want to come back to. Of course, everybody's raising the issue of how to better um, anticipate and recognize kids who are in trouble emotionally, mentally, and however else that triggers this violent acts um, that they're that they're doing. But um, so so back to um, yeah the sense of, of of threat and and how that 
you know, sometimes you really don't know how it affects you mm-hmm. until so much later. Exactly. So seeing it actually happen at Marjory Stoneman Douglas, these threats that so many of us, I would say if you ask any high schooler, they can tell a story of a time of a threat of violence against their school or against their friend's school or against their sibling's school. I, I can say mm. for a fact that my little sister's school had a very, very disturbing and very real threat of violence made against them earlier this year, and that was disturbing for me and other members of my family. Um, so we, And when it when it happens it becomes that much more real and it becomes not just a threat looming over our heads, but something that could so very, very, very much happen to us. And so to see these teenagers take action and to say that this isn't just something we're going to live with, this isn't something that we're going to expect to happen and take take as a course of I feel like people almost treat it as like a natural disaster. You know, when a hurricane comes, mm. people say, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's a tragedy and now we have to focus on rebuilding. After a mass shooting, people sort of tend to use the same language. It's a tragedy. Now we have to focus on healing. But there are direct steps we can take to prevent this from happening again. So seeing teenagers organizing in Parkland was incredibly inspiring to see people my age um, who can't vote yet, who sometimes feel left out of the political system, taking these steps. Yeah, and we also want to make sure that we don't become, like, jaded to the fact that this is something that happens Almost daily now. And, um, oh, of course. Yeah, we want to, at our school, like, our generation kind of has this, like, twisted sense of humor. So if we... Um, what do you call your generation? What, I don't like, I think we're gen- the alphabet. I think we're Z. I was born in 2001. Are so we millennials I or are we Gen like, Z? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. But I think you're going to be past Z. I mean, Z. <laughs> I think they're already talking about Z in terms of post-millennial. So I don't millennials know. are yeah. already, you know, approaching their 30s. Yeah. So who but knows? But our, our, anyway, our peers are um, kind of able to, like, take something as serious as this and make it into, like, some sort of sick, I don't, I don't want to say joke, but, like, it's not treated as heavily, like, um, like, I don't know, maybe like uh, it would have in, like, wait, 2001. Are you saying kids are joking about this, too? Um, yes, that, yeah. yes, that is what we're, is, is that it it's sounds become horrible, but it's, it's kind of true. Like if you see someone who, I don't know, doesn't, he acts weird or he does something weird. He might say, okay, well that's the kid that's going to shoot up the school. Like it's, it's, it's sort of a testament to, um, how, how, how much we've been accustomed to these school shootings and how they're kind of treated as a fact of life for so many high schoolers. Mm. And we sort of deal with that through this type of humor because yeah. we we don't know who's going to be next, so why not take charge of this situation and until now, the only one that's been possible through our language. But Louise and I have sort of found out that there's more that we can do than just sort of sit at home and say, oh, well, I might not... I might, my school might get shot tomorrow. Who knows? So so already from what you uh, experienced with the, your first action, let's mm-hmm. call it, um, uh, last week, um, what have you learned? What have we learned? Um, <laughs> we've learned the power of organizing. We've learned the power of people coming together and making a statement. We've seen how powerful it was. Just seeing the reaction of people who weren't students, who weren't involved in the student walkouts, was so validating because as students, we all feel it. We were all there leaving the school, and we all felt that energy of we're going to make a change. But to see the way adults reacted to it, people who didn't participate, 
was really encouraging because it's, they believe in us, and so we should believe in ourselves the way that we do. Then again, it's also um, kind of a driving thing when you see people who don't support you kind of like troll you on Facebook, and I'm like, don't you have something better to do? Well, I guess I'm going to have to go out and fight this ignorance even harder now because some troll on Twitter just called me a Nazi. Like I- so, so that is actually um, uh, one of two questions I, I wanted to put to you because um, having been involved in a lot of political activity myself over the years, and I, I have only about, I don't know, 60 years on you or something like that. <laughs> well, that's <I> mean, nothing. <laughs> nothing. Um there's going to be two things that you're going to probably be up against. One, you're going to be up against the counteraction, the the uh, people who don't agree with you. And it's a tough thing to deal with, really. So you're not used to having that kind of approbation that's not based on anything that you did wrong, but just you having a different point of view from someone. That's tough stuff. The second thing that's even harder is going to be maintaining momentum because right. after the initial actions you've got to go back you've got to finish a school term you've got summer plans yeah next year is next year and then I've been involved in many situations where I was in a political campaign and after the political campaign uh, we all said okay we have to keep going and we have to do this I was involved believe it or not guys I worked for Bobby Kennedy, who was running for president in 1968. Oh, wow. And he got shot. Oh. And I actually was uh, working in upstate New York, where he was going to be coming next. And I had fallen asleep on the news, and I was awakened by the gunshots. I'm getting chills now as I say it, because it was uh, such a horrifying experience. But um, I went to work in Washington for gun control in 1968. So you hear what I'm saying? Yeah. There's nothing that is – it's incredible that you're getting the response that you're getting. I will be so, so happy if what happened in Florida, at least to some extent, there was response on the part of the governor. Mm -hmm. I will be so, so happy to see that happen. But don't be surprised if once again nothing happens and you have to live with having been out on the streets, but there's still, you're going to have to kind of keep at it and keep keep on keeping on. So yeah. what do you think about that? Are you are you ready for that? Do you, do you have you thought <laughs> about that? We we know that this is a definite possibility, but um, it may sound a little naive. But I have my whole life ahead of me. I haven't. I'm not even eligible to vote yet. I'm still 17. And I feel like since this is the first political activity that has gotten me, like, off my... Duff. Yeah, on (laughs) on my feet and told, like, called to me saying that I, you need to do something about this, that this is important to me. I feel like if I have my whole career as a citizen of this nation ahead of me, I would want to continue that this is not just like we're going to march on Saturday. It's not a one-off. Yeah, we're not going to march on Saturday and then have, uh, and then ignore it and go back to school. uh, We actually um, have a student, Margot Schechsneider. She's uh, either a freshman, yeah, she's a freshman at Loyola. Uh, She is sort of spearheading the March for Our Lives over there. Um, she is planning Loyola University College. Yeah, mm-hmm. University. 
uh, she is planning three bus trips to the capital. Um, Here in uh, Louisiana. Of Louisiana. And uh, they're going to be spaced one month apart. Uh, I think they start at the end of April. Um, they're going to be spaced a one month apart to let the legislator legislators know that this is an issue that's going to keep going coming to up. Go and away. Not going to go away. I and can't so tell you how important that is. Yeah, yeah. If they if they know that you're going to keep coming back, and that you're going to really, I think one of the most important things that y'all can do, honestly, is to out. The guys who are taking NRA money. I yes. completely agree. And That's one of, of our platforms. Build, yeah, that for sure. I'm are you going to have signs? <laughs> you should yes. have signs. You should have Steve Scalise, shame on you. Oh, yeah. I don't know how much it's he's happening. taken. We don't know how much he's He got shot. And he's still yeah, I know. Just not. I know. It's just yeah, it's unbelievable. So we can talk a little bit realistically about what we do expect to happen um, with with bills being passed. I can say that what we're looking at right now is some compromise bills, especially on the federal le- level. Small steps being taken, uh, small to, in our eyes, I would say, is the banning of bump stocks, um, the raising the age of buying assault weapons to 21. These are not dramatic steps, but they will facilitate Real change, um, statistics have shown that someone under the age of 21 is is significantly more likely to commit homicide with a gun than someone over the age of 21. So that's so we can't pretend that, you know, raising the age to 21 would do nothing. It's important to focus on these little steps. But one thing we're really focusing on for the future is um, midterms and upcoming elections is we're going to be registering people to vote. There are a lot of people out there who aren't registered to vote or don't view gun control as something that would maybe change their vote. It's not their priority when looking at politicians, but we believe it should be that people, when choosing a candidate to vote for, they should look immediately and say, how does this candidate feel about gun control? Because that should be a priority. Um, And then with the midterms and with even further down the road, a change, (laughs) a hopeful change of presidential administration could bring us to even more grander legislation um, when hopefully Congress isn't so gridlocked. So so here's something that's really critical, too. We know how our legislators out of New Orleans feel. They're with us. Exactly. Yeah. So the, the problem is this kind of knee jerk. They call conservatism, but it really isn't even conservatism. Conservatism, as I know it and I grew up with it, is a whole different order of yeah. things. This is the populist nationalism that we hear talked about. This is very, um, it's very cynical, capturing the emotional experiences of people who are going through hell because jobs are going away. Mm-hmm. I mean, there is a, yeah. uh, there's always an economic, you will study history as you go through college and you will study about revolutions and history and oh, yeah. almost always there's an economic um, uh, aspect to it. It's all about do you have opportunities or not. And so you have people who have really been screwed. Either they're, you know, on the older end and they're really being destroyed by what's going on in the change in the marketplace and the and the elimination of jobs, or they're younger people coming out of school who don't have right. the preparation for the kind of jobs that are going to be coming down the pike. So what I'm concerned about is reaching the voters, not dismissing them, but understanding them and re- and figuring out how to communicate with them, right. especially as they are upstate, 
Well, here's the crazy thing. 70% of Americans support stricter gun control. 70%. That is a huge number. Um, but because of the NRA, that's not happening. I'm just putting it bluntly. The NRA yeah, no, is preventing true. that from happening because our politicians are so, so many politicians are so deeply in their pockets. And also, in terms of talking across the aisle, we're calling it common sense gun control because that's what it is. So the Constitution gives Americans in the Second Amendment the right to bear arms and to maintain a well-regulated militia. Emphasis on well-regulated. We have the right to to regulate arms in our Constitution, which which some people choose to overlook. Um, so there is no there's no constitutional, you know, say, hey, we don't we can't regulate these things because the Constitution says so. Actually, it says we can regulate it. Um, so common sense regulations that aren't dramatic, they aren't taking everybody's guns away, but they are making. Rules that will protect Americans is what we are driving for, and that's how we think we're going to reach people who may, um, may, <laughs> may be more conservative yeah, in that and sense. And also, by are, are you organized upstate? I mean, uh, do you do you have? Are there going to be walkouts upstate too? Yes, we have one in Lafayette as well as in Baton Rouge. Uh, that's. We're specifically organizing in New Orleans, but I can tell you that there are other marches that are organizing upstate. We're not connected with them, but I know that they exist. Yes. That's that's where I'm I'm really hoping yeah Northern to see Louisiana them because, for sure. Uh, we we have to impact. We have to break through the logjam in our state, where first of all we're having the same problem in our legislature that they're having in Washington, where just exactly. nothing's getting done yeah. because there's this um, you know face off between Republicans and Democrats. And I, I just think that a lot of people who are supporting um, Republicans of this new breed, the again, the old breed of Republicans, there were a lot of Republicans I could vote for 50 years ago. <laughs> There's not a Republican right now that I would feel comfortable in voting for, in all honesty. I, I mean, my audience knows how I stand, so I'm not shy to say this. Although there are <laughs> a lot of my friends are Republicans, and I try to argue with them over these things on occasion, and sometimes I don't. <laughs> but, um, okay, so let's go back to um, the march that's coming up yes. on Saturday. Um, it's going to be starting at noon. Uh, tell people where Washington Park is. It's in is the Marigny. It's on um, Elysian Fields Avenue, I think. It's right by the river. Um, not too far from the French market. We actually do have, uh, or we will be posting um, a detailed map of yeah. our route. It's about a mile and a half long. Uh, it should take about, depending on how many people are there, which right now we're thinking it's upwards of a thousand, two thousand right. people. Um, it should take about an hour and a half, two hours to get there. Uh, once we get to Duncan Plaza, we will be having a rally with several student speakers as well as a few um, local leaders mm -hmm. uh, presenting. Who's, who, who are the local leaders who are presenting? Is the <laughs> mayor coming here's out? The, here's the, the thing. Mayor? We don't know. Um, politicians like to postpone <clears throat> confirming these engagements to the last minute, so it's all kind of up in the air, but we are going to have people. We can promise that for sure. Mm -hmm. We can't promise specific names, but we can promise local politicians. It doesn't matter. And um, uh, it, uh, again, I was in the Women's March. We had about 10,000 people out there. And that was I, incredible. It was yeah. a great march. But it, it, went, it went, you really weren't, you didn't feel um, as if it was going on forever. No. It moved fast because you were so much in the moment and, and really actually enjoying, again, that sense of solidarity, solidarity and, and taking action. 
The voter registration drive. Tell me just a little bit more about that because I th- that's something that's really, really important, even in New Orleans. The more votes we get out in New Orleans, the better in upstate. Yeah. Um, we are working with Indivisible NOLA. Uh, they will be having booths set up at the start and end of the route. Uh, you can sign up to register to vote there. Uh, unfortunately, you cannot vote uh, the deadline to register for... You can't register to vote and then vote in the election. Yeah, it's on the 24th. That's... Like <laughs> it's, no, I know. There's a, there's a little lag time. But yeah. um, you will be able to register to vote at the march. They will also uh, be people pre-registering 17-year-olds because in the state of Louisiana, you can pre-register to vote at 17. Really? Yeah. Actually, 16, I believe, you can pre-register what to vote. What does that mean, pre-register? You can basically so sign... you make the date of your birthday, you can go vote? As soon as you turn 18... You're able to vote. Yeah, you don't have to wait till you're 18 and then sign up. As soon as you're 18, you can, you know, head to the polls. That's really interesting yes. because you can use that as a lever, too. So if you can really sign up a lot of kids at this age and say, and if you get the stats mm-hmm. <clears throat> on how many are uh, registered, that's going to scare some politicians. <laughs> I, I'm serious. Yeah, I, I hopefully. think that's really, if, yeah. you can, if, that, if you can demonstrate big numbers of kids pre-registering, I think that would be, and if we can show, do you mind me saying kids? I'm sorry. I just, <laughs> <laughs> I no, have a couple in my life. It's fine. So. I mean, um, I mean, it's kind of what we are. I'm 17. Louise is 16. I mean, most people would be like, I'm a teenager. Uh, I'm a young adult. But <laughs> honestly, I don't care anymore. Sure, I'm a kid. I don't want to have the arrest. Yeah, I just, <laughs> it doesn't matter. All right. <laughs> How can we all who are out here help? First of all, can we march with you? Oh, yeah, of, course. of course. Everybody. All right, so Anybody and everybody. March, so right? Up. right now on our Facebook page, we have 880 uh, who said they're definitely going, and then 2.2 thousand say they're interested. Okay. We don't know what that means. <laughs> if you mm-hmm. guys could, like, confirm. Well, you We'd just love keep, to you have keep coming you. at them. We'd yeah. love oh, yeah. to have you, but... Yeah. All right, so what? Um, tell me, uh, give me a couple uh, website addresses or Facebook addresses or whatever that people can uh, dive into in order to get the information. Uh, Facebook.com slash MarchNola is our Facebook page, and that's where we primarily post um, our root information. You can find it real easily. I think you can just Google MarchNola, and it'll show up. March for Our Lives, New Orleans. March for Our Lives, New Orleans, yeah. Um, and then we also have um, an Instagram and a Twitter where we post links to articles and we um, links to articles and informational updates, but you should definitely go on the Facebook because that's where everything is. Yeah. What else can we do? Uh, you can. Can also- I buy some? Can I buy some? Yes. Hoodies. Um, yeah. Unfortunately, <laughs> I, I need at least two of those. Uh, unfortunately, the hoodie sales um, they're done in batches by a company based in Virginia, so um, the deadline has passed to get yours in time for the march, but you can get it as memorabilia because it's going to be awesome. Uh, you're going to want to remember this. <laughs> um, and you can get them at bonfire.com and then search March for Our Lives New Orleans or March NOLA, and it'll bring you – we have several different styles, colors, all that jazz. Well, and if well, you're interested in being even more involved, you can um, contact uh, Moms Demand Action Against Gun Violence in America, and you can sign up to be a volunteer. They'll be doing all kinds of different things on the day of the March. Moms Demand March. Action. Moms Demand Action for Gun Sense in America. 
or just moms That's demand a lot action. Of words. Moms <laughs> yep. demand action. We've just been calling them the moms, but you know. Okay. Moms with a capital M. All right. Well, I I want to I need to buy a couple of these. So, um, <laughs> I'm going to see how good organizers you are. You're going to have to find me some That looks like an extra large maybe or yeah. three something I or, like big sweatshirts. <laughs> I like big too, so I need a, a two of those, one for my husband and one for me and in that color. So, Actually, um, it's like a that trendy like yellow color. They um, we only sold four besides the one that I am wearing, but I um, out of like a hundred uh, in this color, and I made them put this color on anyway because I love this color. Oh yeah, but it's also <laughs> oh, great for no. bike riding. Yeah, right. Oh yeah, of course. <laughs> you know, and being out on the streets and Louise, so on. Why so. didn't you get one in this color, huh? Okay, so um, I, I want I want to I'm, I'm going to see you know we're, I'm, it's a little test. To see how well organized you are. You can put your hands on them and get them to me. <laughs> okay. All right. So this is the march. Uh, you've already demonstrated you can do it. You had your action. I, I think it's going to be huge nationally. I think it's just going to be I huge. I think that's true. There's um, over – last time I checked, there were 500 marshes. I heard 800. Oh, geez. Okay. Well, I, um, I heard 850, actually. There uh, are marches all over the world. There are marches in Dublin, That's just in the London. United States I heard 800. There's one in Mumbai. <laughs> Why not? Yeah, no. I'm trying to get my yeah. – yeah, friends there. <laughs> I'm trying to get my friends there to march. <laughs> Definitely. All right, so um, Saturday's the big day, March 24th. And then I want you guys to stay in touch with me on the voter registration in particular. Okay. And then I want you to take care of what we talked about at the beginning of the show in terms of um, bringing some other folks into. And so you'll come back. You don't have to wait for me to call you now. You can call me to book yourselves <laughs> right, right. On, the, on the show and, and bring some other folks. Thank you for what you're doing. Oh, let's just keep our fingers real tightly crossed that this has some effect. We need to do we this. We sure hope so. We think it will. We're going to make sure it does. We That's do. what we're going to say. So you're young <laughs> enough to really uh, have that energy. <laughs> exactly. All right. Bravo, ladies. You All right. Keep on. Thanks keep for on having keeping us. on. Thank you. Thank you very much. All right, guys. So in, in addition to this very serious and important um, struggle, uh, we have the um, always ongoing struggle to call attention to the fantastic creative work that goes on in this city that is growing, that is an important part of um, – our, our world here. And, and Jazz, did Jean call in at all? You know what? Um, I, I think that I, I didn't hear from him. Uh, he called much earlier in the day, and I didn't see the message until just recently. Um, so I feel like I'd love for you to come get – I can't say his number over the air, and I'm not sure how to work the computer. So let me give you his number to call. Hold on, everybody, just one second here while I get um, this guy's. Gene Mennery is with the Ella Project, and he was in the um, South by Southwest, which is just huge. Okay, all right, I'll type it in there. All right, okay, one second, y'all, while I type away um, to give Jazz the phone number so we can try to get him on the line. 3.30. Okay, that's right. Okay. 
All right. So, however, with me, I have it. I'm going to let you introduce yourself because I'm not sure I can pronounce your name right. And I want you to um, say who you are. Okay. I'm Nikkel Harrington. Nikkel. Nikkel. So it's like Michelle, Michelle only of. without the age. And uh, anyway, Nikkel. I got yeah, it. Yeah, Nikkel. I think my parents made it up. Nikkel. Yeah. Nikkel. All right. It's one of those made-up names. Exactly. Yeah. Nikkel. Yes. Last name? Harrington. Harrington. Mm-hmm. And you are? I'm a producer A film. So, Nikkel, and you're from here. You must be with that. No. Well, I'm actually not from here. I think I am now because I've lived here for six years consecutively. Six, six years, you're a senior citizen here. <laughs> yeah, you're, uh, you know, I, I'm, I've been here over 40 years, and I, I still have to apologize for being from someplace else, I find, because New Orleans is extremely loyal to its native sons and daughters, which is a good thing. Right. Okay, so you came here to make films. You're making mm-hmm. films, mm-hmm. and um, it's not easy. And believe it or not, it was a lot harder a couple decades ago than it is now. So it's it's we, we're progressing. Well, I've lived for a long time in New York and L.A., and so I feel like my husband and I are both really lucky that we have those contacts to build from and to draw from and to bring those people here to work with us because we're very inspired by the landscape, by the characters, and the culture here in New Orleans. As we all are. Mm-hmm. And, um, and and that is a very good reason to, to be here. Um, in the 70s, actually in 1978, I was uh, coming out of a career in television journalism and I really wanted to do, um, I specifically wanted to do music video. There he is, Jazz, I think. Can I take him? Oh, good. Hello? Hello. <laughs> okay, you came in streaming. Um, so we're, we're going we're gonna to talk for just a little bit initially, Gene, here about the film uh, industry here. Then we're going to talk about South by Southwest. And then um, I really am curious to hear about your experience there also. But what I, I started out saying is that um, back then, there was almost no money in this city for doing any independent and smaller budget production, mm-hmm. much less any major productions. And so things have really changed radically since then. Needless to say, we all know that um, the very unfortunate uh, moment when they rescinded the tax credits had a devastating effect. And a lot of people really don't understand this because... Um, I have recounted this experience, I think, on this show at least once, but I recounted a lot that I was in a private dining room at the Monoleon one night, and, and there were two tables in a room, my group and another group. And the other group, they were kind of real serious folks. And I said, number one, they're not from here because they're a little too serious. <laughs> and two, they just have this feeling. I said, I, I have a feeling these people are film industry people. So on our way out of the room, I knocked on the shoulder of one of them, you know, tapped on the shoulder, I should say. I said, hey, who are you? <laughs> That's kind of the way I do things sometimes. And, um, you know, he acknowledged that they were film people. And I said, well, look, you know, we're really crazy about having you here. He said, really? Uh, we wouldn't know that. And they were, I would say, verging on bitter because they had made investment. They had come here. They were doing things. And that was a point at which it really was looking dire. And I said, it's going to be okay. Of course, it wasn't. We lost the tax credits we for a while. We didn't lose all of them. 
Huh? We didn't lose all of them. I have four, four projects going through right now. Well, now is different, right? Right. Uh, so now things have changed. What happened then, really, to then. me was a PR nightmare. Mm-hmm. Um, you had one bad apple in the barrel mm-hmm. uh, that did some very bad things. It got a lot of publicity from Lee Zurich at, at Channel 8, who I call out all the time for not really doing the other side of the story. Because he just, you know, hammered away at this one company and how terrible that was and made it seem like everybody here from the film industry was taking advantage of us in Louisiana. That just wasn't the case. And he did not tell the story of the economic value and impact. Right. What they told me and what I since have learned from other people I know in the film business is that even though we have fixed it, mostly, it's not quite as... Uh, easy as it was before, but it, it's uh, it's a lot better, and we're still very competitive nationally. Um, but the uncertainty is a factor that we uh, may never completely live down. We're going to deal with it. Is that yeah, what you're hearing? Yeah, that's definitely what I feel. I mean, there's a lot of projects that were state, you know, slated to film here that went to Atlanta, and I feel like now Atlanta is is really taking. Kind of a lot of the projects that we I think we should have here. So, so tell me more about that because I want to really understand that, and then I want to hear also. Um, you just went to South by Southwest, mm-hmm. and South by Southwest is a really, really good example. And this is what I want to hear from Gene on too, of how a town went from a little college town to being they call themselves the live music capital of the world, which kills me <laughs> as a New Orleanian. Give me a break. Maybe it's got a lot of live music for about a week. Of the year, and I'm sure they have a lot of music otherwise, but it's it's not exactly um, competitive with the level of music we have here. But anyway, it's 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 a really good example of how when a city makes a commitment to the entertainment, creative industries, what they can accomplish. They've transformed that city, as have other cities been transformed by the creative industries also, which is kind of my mantra, as anybody who spends more than 10 minutes with me knows. So... Uh, kind of tell me, uh, tell me uh, how, um, w- w- tell me what's happening <clears throat> with the business that's gone to Atlanta, with um, the climate nationally, how we're perceived, and and what what did you hear in South by Southwest? Okay, um, I don't have the answers to all of those questions. I'm an independent small producer, so um, I only know certain things. I just know when I'm pitching projects um, to shoot here in Louisiana, there's, you know, some people are wondering, well, I don't know if the tax credits, are they really going to be there by the time that we're shooting? There's a lot of changes that are going on with them. Are are we still going to be able to, you know, come out on the other side and actually get something back? So, you know, that's difficult. But, you know, I'm dealing with it because, you know, we love living here. I love making it work. So I do my best to try to understand it. Um, when we we did our film, A Tuba to Cuba, which just premiered at South by Southwest, um, which is one of the top, I would say, three festivals in the U.S., um, and we have a music documentary. For us, it was really special because they have a very strong film, and they also are very strong with music. So for us, showcasing A Tuba to Cuba there was the perfect fit, and our documentary is about Preservation Hall and Ben Jaffe specifically and his musical journey kind of um, living in his father's footsteps. His father always wanted to go to Cuba and we know that the roots of jazz or we feel like the roots of jazz came from Cuba. So they retrace those 
those steps on this beautiful musical journey. And Cuba more so than Haiti? Well, I no, I would say Haiti too. <coughs> I would say uh, for us where our focus was Cuba. Sure. Um, maybe we're going to have a part two <laughs> to yeah. Haiti. You never know. Um, so we actually um, spent a lot of time with Ned Sublet, the world that made New Orleans. And uh, to do a lot of, we used him, he was a great resource in helping us uh, along our way in, in finding and doing the research of the different musicians that um, T.G. Harrington, one of the directors, and Danny Clinch wanted to use. Um, so when we went to South By, I guess I'm kind of skipping all around, but That's when we went to right. South By, one of the things I kept hearing is, you know, be careful you don't get drowned out. There's a lot of film. There's a lot going on. It's a huge festival. Uh, tell me festival. once more time what the name of the film is. A Tuba to Cuba. Tuba to Cuba. Okay. Go ahead. So one of the things I talked to with Preservation Hall, and we came up with, you know what, let's do a New Orleans-style parade. We can't officially call it a second line because it's not technically a second line because no one has died, but we're going to do a New Orleans-style parade. So um, we, after one of the screenings, we started the music in the theater right out into the streets and you know we had news cameras I was a little nervous I thought maybe we'd have two or three hundred people we had fifteen hundred people people were coming out everywhere to be part of this parade and dancing in the streets and South By was so receptive um, of this and the, the people from Austin were receptive everybody was so friendly and nice and it was it was fun so what do you think the value of that is ultimately to uh, what we're trying to do here? I think and the reason I ask you that is because I sit on the, the mayor's um, transition committee, and I'm not supposed to talk about what goes on in there at all uh, for the creative industries, but uh, one of the members um, is very interested in the idea, let's just say, of uh, some kind of um, road show, in a sense, out of New Orleans, music-based road show. Yeah, I, I think he, he, he being an art person, I'm, I'm sure he means more than just music. Yeah. Sure. Everybody was so receptive. I mean, I think it's a, it paints a beautiful picture of New Orleans. It gives everyone, we gave South by a taste of New Orleans. We showed them what we're about is how we kind of looked at it. And it was a joyous experience. And I think that that should be shared and that should be celebrated. Jean, let me get you to chime in here because you were there also, and I'm I'm kind of dying to hear your report on um, uh, on, on what was going on and 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 how the story of the New Orleans creative economy uh, was uh, being heard and 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 um, uh, what the interplay between that and the stories that are coming from other parts of the country uh, were. Sure. <clears throat> so. We were there as part of the Music Cities Think Tank group, which is a relatively informal consortium of about 40 or so people that work on music policy throughout North America. Um, and it was a perfect time to have a powwow about these sorts of things. And what came out of that for me is that, you know, a lot of what we see in New Orleans, other people face as far as problems, and a lot of the things that people are trying to build, we have naturally through New Orleans. I mean, we were in rooms with people from Colorado with massive foundation support that are looking to build these music districts of clubs and educational opportunities 
and music stores, and we're like, we kind of have that already. It's, it's, we didn't need government support to do it, you know. They're wondering about, you know, is it okay to have live music that's outside on patios in some neighborhoods in Canada? And we're like, you know, we have live music on the streets. Sure, there's some complications that come out of that, but it's not nearly what you might find in other markets. So I think for us, the idea is like to see some best practices. You know, for instance, you mentioned earlier how the city of Austin has really capitalized on the creative industry. Well, one reason is, is that the city of Austin receives about $12 million a year from hotel motel tax, which they can reinvest in the arts. What percentage you know, of... Well, the city of New Orleans is about 400000 So, yeah, we think we can compete with the live music capital of the world toe-to-toe perfectly. But in some ways, with funding, we've got one hand time behind our back because so much of our tourism money goes to other sources instead of being reinvested in the creatives like they do in Texas, like they do in Austin, San Antonio, and Houston. Uh, so let me just ask you something about that um, hotel melter tax. So what percentage of the tax is going to uh, exactly what? Sure. So the way that they do it in Texas is that the city portion of hotel motel tax basically goes almost exclusively to fund cultural activities. The state takes a little bit off the top, and the way they do it in Texas is the state of Texas doesn't actually fund arts at all. They're going to fund arts at a much lower level than you're going to see the state of Louisiana. But in the municipalities, in the big cities, and in Texas there's a lot of them, they're being able to turn almost all their hotel motel tax. A lot of the money that New Orleans would go to marketing, would go to stadiums, would go to other things, they go ahead and reinvest it within the arts. So that's why you see numbers, you know, Houston, maybe 16 to 17 million in arts grants a year, Austin, 12 million, San Antonio, 12 million, Dallas, maybe, you know, 15 million. And it makes a difference. You know, when you have artists who are looking to get funding and they're like, well, I could maybe get $5,000 for grant money in the city of New Orleans, or I could run the same exact project in the city of Houston and get $60,000. It's just simple mathematics, right? Um, we'd all look at that and say, like, New Orleans is fantastic, and we love it, and there is more cultural um, activity going on here in a lot of ways, but the money is just so much better over there, and it's because of the funding mechanisms. Yeah, so I, I assume that, um, oh, that helped. Um, I, I assume that um, you you are, are are really obviously making the recommendation that we should uh, uh, maybe try to figure out a way of getting a percentage of our hotel motel tax, which, by the way, that's common all over the country that a percentage of that hotel motel tax goes to support um, uh, cultural development in the cities. That's absolutely right. And, I mean, in fairness, Pretty much all the arts funding we get in Louisiana these days does come from that tax. It's just, you know, we're funding the entire state at $2 million in revenue that we're pulling out of the tourism fund, whereas if you look at the revenues for major municipalities in Texas, you're probably at $60 million. So, so wait, let, let, let it's me... It's not exactly apples to apples, right? Well, let, me, let, me, let me backtrack there for a second. You said that we are getting uh, some of that money. You mean basically... Uh, indirectly through the State Department of Cultural Recreation and Tourism. Is that what you meant? 
That's exactly right. That, yeah. that is not necessarily how it comes down to the city of New Orleans. Yeah. The city of New Orleans is just out of general fund, but pretty much all the funding for arts grants statewide through the CRT, as you said, the cultural recreation tourism, does come from tourism tax. It's just so much smaller than the amount of money Texas is providing to it, and it puts us at a disadvantage. So, um, uh, aside from that, um, I, let me hear from both of you on this. What was it about the festival that really, in, in general, South by Southwest, um, I, I shouldn't have called it. It's not really a festival. It's, it's, no, it is. It's called a festival. It's a it festival. Kind of is, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a festival, but it's also, it's also kind of like a giant trade show. They have a lot of components. There's an interactive component, a tech component, a film component, a music component. And then sometimes those different components come together. So of all the things that you experienced there um, over the weekend, um, what impressed you most as uh, some elements that you would like to see us execute here in New Orleans that would make a difference in what we're trying to do? And either one of you can start. You can go ahead and start. <laughs> I'm mean, happy to jump in. I mean, I think that in some ways... We have a similar type of event music-wise around the Jazz jazz Festival, where it basically becomes a de facto reunion for a lot of people who are interested in New Orleans music, and we all know we get a ton of people who are just coming in town for that. And So, I mean, I think that works informally during Jazz Festival. Yeah, sort of Um, informally, organically. The only thing, Jean, wouldn't you say that if it was a little bit more deliberate in terms of being about attracting and um, embracing and connecting business opportunities to our creatives here, that that would make a big difference. I, I think it would. Not um, that they I don't try to know, do that. I mean, differently that way as well. I mean, you know, the there's so much of a text component in Austin through Dell through the University of Texas. And I know that there's been action as far as tech development in New Orleans is concerned, but it's not the same equation. That um, it's meant that there's just a different level of money and sophistication that goes on in a, in a town like Austin and South by Southwest, and you're going to find here. But for the actual arts, I don't think that, that necessarily. I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing that, that we're in a different situation as far as that's concerned. I mean, the Austin music business is no more developed than ours is. They have a heck of a lot more funding, but there's no major label presence there. You don't have a lot of the same issues that we would have, and that was one of the interesting things in all these meetings. We were meeting with the person who runs the film office and music office for the city of Austin. A lot of the issues that we would have about lack of business infrastructure, they have the same things, and that's enlightening in a lot of ways. So we've been hearing from Jean Mennery, who was at South by Southwest, um, along with Nickel. Nickel, I'm gonna, I'm gonna. It takes me a while to oh, um, absorb people's names, but Nickel, um, uh, you know, um, I, I hear what you're saying. I, I have to say that um, with as much as we have going on kind of indigenously and naturally and organically and on our streets and in our homes, et cetera, et cetera, 
we should have a much more robust cultural economy than we do, and that if we were more deliberate about it, um, I think that it would be beneficial to everybody. What's your feeling about that? I do. I mean, I think our strong suits are music and film. You know, the New Orleans Film uh, Festival, it was, you know, is, is growing and growing every year. And I feel like, you know, they're bringing in sponsorships from outside the state as well. I know for the gala that I'm chairing for them on Saturday, uh, it's the first time that the Golden Globes is sponsoring. And that's that's money that's coming oh, in that's from out of state. Oh, that's big time. That's great. You know, Jean, I'm going to focus in now um, uh, with Nikal on the gala because I promised that I would help uh, get the word out on that. So um, we'll pick up uh, and do more on this, um, obviously, ongoing. You, this is, I think, your third visit to the show. And um, I look forward to um, uh, catching um, more of your thoughts on this. You know what? I'm going to be calling you offline, too. You know that, right? <laughs> Sounds good, Gene. Always a pleasure to talk to you. Good luck with the gala on Saturday. Yeah, I hope you're going to come out. What a New Orleans culture. All right. Thank you, Gene. All right. Let's hit the uh, gala because I know these guys in the, in the booth across from me are going to shut me off any minute now. So go ahead. Okay. So basically I'm chairing the Film Society Gala, which wow. is their That's biggest big fundraiser job, right? on Saturday. It's so much fun. I love it. I love film, and I love big parties. We have great music. We have, um, yeah, I, great drinks. I, we also have uh, Piper Champagne coming in to sponsor as well. That was fun. Oh, and yeah. So it's, <laughs> come eat, drink, and be merry all night. Um, I really, what time is it? Where is it? How do you get tickets? Okay. How much are the tickets? Right. So you can get tickets by going on to the New Orleans Film Society website. New Orleans Film Society, everybody. Right. And, and now let's make sure, sure everybody remembers that the, it's the New Orleans Film Society that puts on the Film Fest. That's right. Which is one of the best film fests in America now. It is. Started it off is. kind of sleepy slow. Everybody hung in there and kept going and going and, and working on making it better. And, and now it's really coming into its own. There is. They're, they're getting some incredible films. They premiered Mud. I don't know if it's on Netflix now. I don't know if you guys have checked that is out. Is it on Netflix already? Oh, I think okay. it is. I think cool. it is. Cool. Yeah. Because I, I have such film. a hard time getting my husband out of the house to go to the movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. well, a lot of people saw it right here in New Orleans first at the film festival. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it was great. I love the kind of films that they're getting, and I love how they are curating them, too. And they also, what the gala does is it's their biggest fundraiser, and they have a lot of grants and all sorts of programs for young people here that want to be involved in film, young writers, young talented people. So they're really helping grow the film society and the film community here in New Orleans. And that's one big reason why I'm involved. Okay. Back to the tickets. Okay. I know they're not cheap, so let's, let's not. put it out there. Okay. I have is to there a discount ticket for younger people? There is. <laughs> okay. I think there is. Like, and I, how, about, how, about, how about people who um, – how about people in the media, you know what I mean? <laughs> no, I can anyway, ask about ahead. you. Yeah. Um, okay, it's Saturday, March 24th. Mm-hmm. The patron party is from 7 to 8. Okay. And it's featured by beautiful music from Helen Gillet. Mm-hmm. We have all female music this year. Ah, uh, okay. Isn't that nice? A I like that. A little bit of Me Too movement and Time's, time's Up. A little bit, a little bit. Okay. I like it. And we have Good. DJ Musa spinning mm-hmm. later on in the night. And Fantastic. we have a nice dance floor underneath the oak trees. It's going to be beautiful. Fabulous. Yeah. Uh, there's the gala and the live auction. And this is at um, uh, 
the home on Carrollton. Yes, it is. I, I, I haven't been there. Bruno I actually had home. it on a tour that I did, but I haven't been there myself. So, um, yeah. It's incredible. Yeah. The home is beautiful and the gardens are beautiful. Yeah. When we did the whole tour originally, I fell in love with the gardens. Yeah. And I was like, we have to do the party in the gardens. They're yeah. like, what about the house? It's so beautiful. I'm like, yes, the house is beautiful. But the gardens are magical. It's right. They're dark and mysterious. And that's why it's called Midnight, Midnight in the Garden. Midnight in the Garden. This Saturday night, and mm-hmm. it is um, uh, at, starting at 7, going on until about what time? Mm, probably about 11.30. We, and might, actually, we might push it till midnight. <laughs> okay, we'll right, see. exactly. And um, and if uh, you can't afford the, the um, uh, patron party, which I'm sure is pretty The high. patron party, if you're a member, it's 300 If you're a non-member, it's 350 yeah, that's To the gala, there. which starts at 8, um, you know, that's 250 Mm-hmm. If you're not a member, 225. If you're a member, the thing so, is, is, not everybody out there can afford this, obviously, including um, some of the people in the studio here. But um, it's worth it. It's important, and uh, our film business has so many ripples in our economy. It's important that we support it. True. I will say, you could probably eat and drink, and all the music, everything combined, would just about equal the ticket because Actually, there's caviar. That's a very good point. There's Endless champagne, incredible mixed drinks. Just it's, a great party. I mean, yes. Yeah. I mean, what's a good, you, you can't have Website. a good food um, and drinks. That would be the New Orleans Film Society.org. All right. I think it's uh, going to be a great hit. I've been to a couple of them in history, and I, I'm, I'm just blown away, Rally, by what great parties you guys put on. They are amongst the best. They are. And, in, and, and, and we are the best. Party throwers. Party throwers. <laughs> gala throwers in, in the country. It's true. You know. I, I got schooled when I moved here, actually. That's why I'm so good at it now. But I will <laughs> tell you, we have also amazing auction items. We have, like, some red carpet premiere tickets. We have an espresso signed by George Clooney. Like, we have some fun little interesting things. We have this kafton that's very popular that all the ladies are after. All right. So uh, good auction items as well. Okay. Nikel. Thank you. You got it. I get it right finally at the end of the show. Thank you so much for coming in. Thanks for having me. And listen, thank you guys for listening. This has been Crosstown Conversations. And.